Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 33. On the day that I am recording this, it is snowing outside where I am, and I'm wrapped up in a fuzzy blanket, and Bear is also wrapped up in a fuzzy blanket, and we are just like trying to survive the cold here. Um, and on the day that you guys are hearing this, it's officially November. So, like, winter's here. I mean, I know it's still fall, but it's snowing, so it feels wintry to me. Um, today's guest is Heidi Gress. Um, I'm going to read you her bio at the end of this intro, but I wanted to say that for those who live in Salt Lake City, I'm running Heidi's episode today because there's a big event that she runs that is happening in Utah like next week. So it's happening on November 16th. So it's the Art Meets Fashion Program, which is this super cool thing. Um, it's like, it's a fashion show and a magazine release, and it's a foundation. So um, I'm trying to find the thing. Yeah, for this year, it's a benefit for global rainforest conservation. And there are going to be like Brazilian artists. It's pretty cool. Um, and I think there are some like VIP events or maybe it's like a, an entry. Heidi talks about it at the end of this episode a little bit more. Um, but I wanted to release this episode a week before that so that if you live in Utah or are going to be in Utah, um, you have plenty of time to get tickets for Art Meets Fashion um, between when you hear this and when like the events begin. So I think maybe the first events are like November like 13th, 14th, and then the, the big show is November 16th. So that's Art Meets Fashion. Um, AMF. So www.artmeetsfashionamf.com. You can get tickets there um, for the show and the release. And it's, it's like a whole like interactive experience. It's super cool. And if you want more information, just like listen to this episode, Heidi and I talk about it a bit. It's really awesome what she's doing. And you know, if you care about the rainforest, which you should, um, it's, it's going, proceeds are going toward that. So, you know, it's a win-win all around fashion and saving the rainforest. Um, okay. So now let me pull up Heidi's bio, 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 Heidi's bio, Heidi's bio, and tell you a little bit about her. Okay. Heidi Gress first discovered her passion for creative entrepreneurship while studying European cinema at the University of London. After she completed her film education with a BFA from the prestigious Chapman University in Southern California, she continued in the creative industry by working as a commercial producer, fashion, film, and documentary director, and still photographer in Los Angeles. Her editorial work has taken her all over the globe, and she's been published in numerous international publications, including Los Angeles Magazine, Vogue Italia, Salt Lake Magazine, AMF Magazine, More Magazine, Sphere Magazine, City Weekly, and Cultural Fashion. Fashion magazine in Los Angeles, where she published the quarterly issue for five years, eventually selling the company she relocated to Utah for family and to be closer to nature. Locally, she's the director at Impact Hub Salt Lake, a social impact entrepreneurial center, the founder and producer of Art Means Fashion, a foundation that cultivates cultural exchange through the fashion arts and is an instructor at Salt Lake Community College Fashion Institute, where she teaches business marketing and event production. All right, you guys, enjoy Heidi. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary. And sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. 
and the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Light and Airy Presets. Light and Airy is created by photographer and best friend team Caroline and Anna Marie, who are passionate about helping business owners feel confident about the photos we share. I've sat here in this studio with so many guests who express anxiety about social media, and I've certainly felt the same way. It's a horrible feeling to feel torn between making art that really matters to you and building skills to navigate several social media platforms. I've been using the Light and Airy mobile presets for several months now, and it's really eased my anxiety about posting regular photos. All you have to do is download the free version of the Lightroom mobile app, download the Light and Airy presets, and come away with beautifully edited photos with just one click. If Instagram scares you like it scares me, head to lightandairyphotog.com and use promo code ARTIFICE10, that's all caps A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-1-0, for 10% off your mobile presets today. Normally I do um, interviews like first thing in the morning, like, okay, at like 10. Uh that's Which is first thing in the morning. That's my first thing in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll be like, oh, do you want to like, you know, meet for coffee or something? And people will be like, sure. How about like eight? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I think anybody who schedules things prior to 10 is immoral. <laughs> There's something wrong with them. Well, they're probably not in the arts. No, that's true. Everybody's <laughs> arts is like starts at 10. My night finishes at 1 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. We well, just have a different if, schedule. Even if you don't have late nights every night. I feel like if you're expected to have a late night, like even, you know, two days a week, you just can't, you can't reset keep your that clock. up. Yeah. It's like, you gotta, gotta pick one. Yeah. I, I frequently get up like around eight, but I'm not like, I'm not prepared. alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wake up around eight, like maybe even seven 30. I do a seven 30 to eight kind of wake up yeah. and then I sit and I have coffee. Yeah. D- do maybe a couple of emails. Up. Yeah. I email on the phone mm-hmm. and then I'm like, ah, I've done some work. I'm good till 10. <laughs> yeah, Everybody my- thinks I'm working already. It's magical. <laughs> my routine is like, I mean, I almost always work from home. So my routine is usually like I put on my glasses and I like shuffle downstairs in my PJs. I do some like, you know, low intensity emailing, like some kind of, you know, Stuff that I don't have to think that hard about. Yeah, just like, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Talk soon. And Next then week. after like a half an hour, then I eat breakfast. And then I go back and do some more, like more alert emails. And then maybe I'll go and like shower and get ready. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely, I have a whole process. It sounds very I have, similar. I have to like feed get the dog. out of the bedroom. That's like step one. <laughs> oh, see, I go down and feed the dog. Then I go back to the bedroom. <laughs> And then I lay there and I contemplate getting up for a minute. And I'm like, okay, now I will officially get up. So for me, I feel like that, like laying there and being like, can I do it? If I feel like I have to go like straight into the bathroom and get ready, I I feel like it's too much. 
Oh, I, I can't straight go into the bathroom. I yeah. still feed the dog, go lay in bed. <laughs> yeah. And then I come back down, make coffee, write the emails on the phone during that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then go back upstairs, take a shower, then come back down in my bathroom, then maybe eat breakfast. It's, it's so funny. It's like a five-step process it's like a whole for me. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not somebody who takes an hour to get my beauty on i'm not that yeah. person that's like a 10 minute process <laughs> but the whole building up to brushing my mm-hmm. hair takes mm-hmm. quite some time getting up the energy to just like put the contact lenses in yeah or deciding <laughs> like what am i wearing just gonna uh, go look at the closet walk away from the closet go look at the closet that's so relatable uh the answer is black <laughs> the answer is pretty much always black <laughs> mine is uh what is my personality today i feel that today was casual yeah. Well, the first days it you is, will ever see me wear jeans. I very rarely Friday. wear them. I wear jeans a lot, but like black jeans. Black jeans. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a dress girl. That's awesome. Because it's one thing. That's yeah. all I have to match. And I, I can put it on and it looks fine. I'm so into that. Um, well, let's like, let's like officially get started with like the podcast. Okay. So um, I, I'm, I don't know how much you like have seen like my posts about it or anything, but I'm kind of after like the backstory of people's art careers and art background. So I like to always start with everybody at the beginning and ask what was kind of like the first creative stuff that you started doing as a child, even if it has like nothing to do with what you're doing now. As a child, I'm pretty sure I was always a creative child. Um, I definitely was different than the other siblings. My sister's now a chemist. Sweet. My brother's a teacher. My other brother's an electrician. That Nobody's straight artist. So I've always yeah. been creative. Where are you in the... I'm in the middle. I'm a middle one. Um, I'm the third down. So I have an older brother, older sister, and a younger brother who's actually adopted. So I can't say it's a genetic trait of yeah. this non-artistic yeah. people. <laughs> it's definitely environmental. Um, but yeah, my dad painted... Cool. So it was always around my dad, and my dad also had a dark room okay. growing up. So he actually got me into photography. Oh, um, he's great. the first person. Uh, but I, I was always drawing or painting. My grandma had a drawer full of scarves, and I would always tie them yeah. together and create outfits and wear them around and act like I was a gypsy or like yeah. all these different things. So I always had a really imaginative brain. We weren't really allowed to watch TV mm. uh, except for on Sunday, which yeah. we were allowed to wear, watch fairy tale theater, maybe. Cool. But like I grew up a little differently. I did grow up in Park City, so okay. that was pre like pre wealth influx, fancy, I yeah, guess pre, I should say. Pre fancy. Yeah. So we our my mom's idea of playtime was to go outside and use your imagination. Yeah. And if I said I was bored, then she said I wasn't thinking hard enough. I mean, I have to agree with her. Yeah, yeah she was great. She was, and now I think about like how I was right, and she always came up with like cool stories and like that's awesome. How you create like a fort, and these are the knights coming, and you create all these things. I, lo- um, I yeah. love to ask people about this kind of stuff because you know, I I mean I'm a broken record about it, but I feel like. People talk about creativity sometimes like, you know, there are creative children and there are not. And like, I don't, I mean, I don't think that's true. Um, I do find though that like, I'm starting to kind of feel like when I talk to people who are adults who've made creativity their profession, um, it's so much of it, I think, is just like the way that you frame it in your own mind. Like you're thinking like, oh, playing with my grandma's scarves you know, that's part of my creativity. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I do. And I don't, I do think there are creative children and there are not creative children. My what? sister 
is a non-creative child. Yeah, where do you uh, think she, it comes from? I mean, I from guess her? she likes something. She needs works. That's her creative mm. outlet. Um, but she always has liked order. She always mm. was very specific on how things happen. We're raised exactly the same. Yeah. My mom said our personalities were apparent from birth. It was always exploratory. My sister was always very stressed if anything went wrong mm. or out of place. So I, I do think you're born with certain personality traits, whether you can say they're creative or non-creative. Sure. That's one thing. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, environmentally, what people are going to encourage in you will yeah. help that already existing kind of yeah. rise. Encourage or, yeah, or discourage or that means my husband just got home. Oh. Bear, Bear just got up and <laughs> ran out. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think like personality traits for sure are genetic. Like, I mean, there's tons of evidence of that. Um, yeah, I ask people a lot if they think that like their creativity is like rooted in certain personality traits. And I don't know. I mean, obviously there are so many different types of creatives, like they're all personalities. So yeah, it's a really interesting combination of like, you know, I, I, I feel the same way as you about like exploratory being like an important piece. It certainly is for me, like, or curiosity is maybe like what I would call it. I don't know if that feels different to you. Yeah. And I think you're right with the different type of creative it is. Um, I do feel that certain types of of creative endeavors are a result of a lot of different type of personality yeah. traits. Yeah. Um, like I do think artists, certain types of artists have sometimes difficulty uh, processing emotions yeah. in a certain way. Yeah. So creative outlets become that way mm -hmm. of communicating emotion or, you know, they see something a little differently. Like, yeah. Uh, I definitely probably see things a little differently than my other friend who's also a photographer. Yeah. We always joke that we are both professionals and he's a contemporary documentarian and I do couture and more romanticized. Yeah. We could be looking at the exact same thing yeah. and see something totally different. Oh my gosh, I love it. So the idea, I think there's this encouragement, yes, but I also feel depending on how you as an individual are able to process or not process uh, expression, emotions, yeah. um, how a lot of artists have emotions on their sleeve and yes. they're very expressive. Other yeah. artists keep it on lock. Right. And then like, it's almost like, okay, like normally I get to this stuff at the end, but like we're here. So let's talk about <laughs> it. So, I mean, the podcast is called Artifice partly because like, I, I'm so fascinated by like, you know, the relationship between like our art that we create and kind of who we are. And I, I feel like for some artists, there's very little difference. It's like, you know, you, yourself is kind of like this, um, like just a, a kind of a wide open conduit that goes to your art. But like the thing you're saying, I've definitely seen of like people who like, they're like not expressive at all in any other way. So like how you see like the person outside of their art and then how you see like the art, it's almost like completely different. Um, do you have any like other thoughts about like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally that... agree. I mean, I do think, you know, there's a lot of studies on art therapy for children, mm. uh, children who have autism or children, you know, ADHD, I'm diagnosed ADD like three times and I still don't take meds because I, <laughs> I find if I do, it actually hinders my creative abilities. Mm, yeah. Um, it's very hard for me. Um, I will take like Adderall occasionally if yeah. I really need to focus need on to something focus. business oriented, mm. but it does a disservice to my creative process. Mm. So 
using art for a lot of people who are shut off or don't know. Mm. Like you might see them perfectly like buttoned up OCD, like they look so specific. And then you see their art creations and this wild, crazy patterns that make no sense. And I think being able to express that and how they're internally feeling while maintaining a certain type of not even outward approach. It's just Mm. more, this is how they feel as well. Yeah. They feel both of these things. Right. And I know children have seen great success when they're able to use art as a tool in order to explore their emotions that otherwise they may not feel comfortable doing outwardly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I have a a follow-up question about this. Like it's, it's maybe not specifically like a question for you, but I, it's just something I always wonder. And like, I get the sense that maybe you have thoughts about it. I feel like so frequently in kind of like our art communities, whatever they may be. And like, I'm sure that like the fashion world, like, has this definitely. Um, but like we, we kind of like size each other up professional to professional and maybe sometimes like, I don't know, audiences. What's your word for like the consumer consumers? Um, yeah, we, we kind of size each other up based on like these appearances. And like, I think some people feel like we need to have like, I've talked about this a little bit with Jen Palmer, you know her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, people kind of like make, make judgments about maybe or assumptions about what your art's going to be like based on like how you look, which I think is super problematic because of this thing we're talking about. Um, do you see that happening or like, yeah, I mean, definitely fashion that happens a lot. I, I joke that I'm the least fashionable fashion person. Like I like dressing, but I am not somebody who rocks Chanel and does all these yeah. things. Like I love Chanel. I like the quality, I like the artist and craftsmanship of Chanel. Yeah. But for me, it's not about wearing the Gucci or, yeah. you know, you see a lot of fashion photographers who have very specific swagger when they walk in and they're like, Oh, I'm yeah. shooting this campaign. I'm sure Jen will agree that she's yeah. ran into many of those. Oh, totally. Um, well, and I their quality of work isn't always comparable with how their ego is it or their never thing is. is right. It's almost like it, like it like it's trying to compensate for something sometimes. I mean, yeah. certainly there are people who are kind of just like walking, talking art and like everything they touch and everything they do is just, it's like fully consistent. Um, but I feel totally plagued by like, you know, what we see versus like, you know, I just, I'm, I get stressed out about it in my own career. And I also always feel like, you know, when I'm, when I'm consuming art or I'm considering, you know, I'm considering other artists either to hire them or whatever. I always just wonder like, what's, what's going on? Which is why like, I'm obsessed with asking people. Yeah. I think we're, I mean, everybody's a little judgy, I think both ways. And I, I find myself getting judgy in the fashion world, especially in Utah. Um, because the fashion scene here is in two very distinct categories Mm -hmm. yeah you have the fashion bloggers Mm. and those seen to be seen type group yeah and then you have the fashion artists yeah the fashion artists are usually kind of awkward they're designers they're people who prefer to be behind the scenes if you say hey you're gonna have to walk the runway with your people they look at you with like deer in the headlights no (laughs) they're freaked out um, yeah. but if you tell like an influencer, Hey, you need to walk down the runway, like, all oh, right, where do I go? Yeah. And because I'm definitely more in that art disc category, we, 
you know, we have this like bring it on kind of mentality. We're like, oh, you're the dance team. I'm the cheerleader. Like, you know, <laughs> you have to like bring it. Come on, influencers, which we I kind of laugh about. But yeah. I do see images and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, that's not fashion mm. but it still is i mean it's just in a, a totally different form of fashion yeah it may not be my kind of fashion and i have to correct myself sometimes i'm like heidi this is still yeah. valid expression and valid ways of people to feel connected yeah. to the external version of themselves and i i, I totally relate to that i do the same thing with with music like you know there are some people who like you know they they're just like incredible like technical musicians but like maybe their presentation is like it's not asking a lot you know or it's not like it's just it's not in your face um it's like for your ears and not as much for your eyes um and then you know of course there are people who like the presentation is all of it and maybe the musical um you know the technical musical ability is is less but I I also try to remember like it's all art. It's just like, there's different kind of parameters. And like you were saying before, like maintaining curiosity is the most important thing. Like just thinking like, okay, now where is this person being creative? Like, how can I shift my perspective to like, try to really see like what it is that is being offered? Um, yeah, I, I do think that's a valid point. And even if like sometimes with like influencer culture, I, I do find it doing a disservice for some of the creative outlets. Mm -hmm. um, I do hear like 13 year olds like, I'm going to be an influencer star. Yeah. It happens with music too. I mean, it's, and you, it's yeah, so similar. You just want to be like, well, what does that mean? An influencer yeah. star? Like, what are you contributing to the overall social landscape? What are you saying through your mm -hmm. podcast? What are you saying through your vlog what are you saying through these things like yeah the reason the most people become successful if you're not just a hot girl hanging out on a beach mm -hmm. is because you have something worthy to yeah to create or to give to society or give to a greater culture and people want to follow you because of that mm -hmm. and i think sometimes people forget that they're like what could i be oh, i'm gonna take a picture here and i'm gonna take yeah. a picture here and um you know someday social media might shift. And then what's your career going to be about? What are you about? I know. I think about it so much. I feel, yeah. I feel also like, it's just, I don't know. My guess is our professions are similar in this way. Like you just have to, I spend a lot of time thinking like, okay, if this is the way that people are consuming things, like maybe I need to try to enter this conversation. But then I just, I also feel like what you just said, like, but it could change. Like things can change. And like, I don't know. It's like, but my my solution is just like talk to people and just ask them what they think and I don't know try to be like as authentic as possible in my own output yeah I think that's why I like photography too when I first started shooting um I shot photojournalism I did not shoot fashion fashion was an accident my whole life of fashion was an accident that was nothing I I meant to pursue um but I started photojournalism when I lived in London and I went to school to for European cinema. I worked in the wow. film industry for a while. But um, my studies brought me there. My dad gave me a camera. And when I left, he said, capture what connects us, not what divides mm. us. And so my goal was just to take pictures of people that I relate to or, or scenes that I have seen similar in my own life, but mm. in a different country. Yeah. And that type of connection, I, I wanted to see in a visual way. 
And I think people still desire that. Well, that's why Instagram's so big and Facebook's so big. Like people desire these connections. People like podcasts too. Yeah, they want to feel like they yeah, know these people and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, people, I think people really, really crave it. Yeah. And I feel creatives crave it. Even yes. if we're isolated, we're like these little hermits that come oh out gosh. and then we're like, we're going to make something cool. And then we go back into our little hermit mode. But like, I, I think, you know, totally. they're really searching for connection to something, whether it's the actual art or to the people through the art. Amen. And, all around that. Yes, I, I totally agree. Well, okay, you mentioned like so many things. Let's go back and like, let's go back and kind of like reconnect your creative dots. No, no, I, I do it also. And also it's just, I welcome all, all tangents. Um, so as a little kid, um, you felt, you know, you felt kind of exploratory. You were like, I don't know, seeing the world in a, in a different way from your siblings, um, it wasn't encouraged and like supported by your parents. Um, can you tell me like the story of how maybe you started turning some of those curiosities into like skills? Yeah. I mean, I played uh, music every one of our uh, siblings. We were required to learn a musical instrument as part of our upbringing. Just like part of the rules. Yep. Um, so I started playing saxophone, flute and clarinet in fifth grade. How did you choose those? Uh, I wanted saxophone. Yeah. But my band teacher required me to learn flute and clarinet in order to play the saxophone at the same time. Got to have your doubles. Yep. And so I started with that. I also danced. Um, So I was in dance classes from the time I was very, very young. And then then what about like your, sorry, you probably were just about to say, but so, okay. So you're playing, you're playing saxophone, flute and clarinet in band. You're taking dance lessons, classes, and then withdrawing and... Oh, I never was a very good drawer. Uh, I'm horrible. I, I still can draw stick figures on like, like at the best, like okay. primitive art with Basquiat. That was my jam. Cause I, I can't really draw anything. Um, I like drawing, but I was never really into it. Photography also, um, never was into photography as a youth. Um, I loved clothes. Yeah. I always dressed very eccentrically, very different. Uh, me and my best friend in high school, we were called the floaters. So we floated from group to group to group. So yeah. like if I went out for the gothics at night, I would dress gothic. If yeah. I went to the cheerleader house, I'd dress preppy, like clueless. Yeah. How, and how did you feel like permission to do that? I didn't ask. Yeah. But I right? mean, but how, like, but how did you feel it? Like, what does that come from? I Okay. So a little, little bit of like context for like why I'm asking this question. Um, I, I talk a lot with people about like at what point in their creativity they started feeling like ownership over it. I'm like, I'm really into like that concept lately. Um, meaning like, you know, going from like, you know, my teacher gave me this drawing assignment or my piano teacher gave me this lesson or, you know, whatever I'm coloring in this book to like, I, I don't need to ask permission. Cause I think that's a big step for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know. I've had a very specific personality. My mom even joked to this guy who wanted to date me and he was like, I'm going to take her up to the mountains and teach her how to fish and we're going to do this and that. And my mom looked at him and she flat out goes, honey, my daughter has known who she is since she was eight years old. You're not going to change her now. Yeah. And for me, I've always liked to know people. Yeah. So even really young, I've yeah. always been very social. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introverted extra, extroverted introvert. I think I'm one of those two. Where you like one-on-one connections. Yeah. And so 
fashion or clothing became a way for me to explore other people's lives. Interesting. And it might have been what I feel about film and why I got into film too. Mm. I loved people's stories. I love it when people tell me about their lives. I like hearing where they've been, where they come from, even when I was a little kid. And for me, like that became a connection with fashion because Mm. I saw, hey, why are the goths looking like that? I want to go see what they're about. I want to go meet people who like run in vampires yeah, that's it, so cool fashion is really interesting in this con in this conversation about you know identity because it it is such a like there are such clear markers you know like our clothing and our makeup and how we wear our hair and our gender presentation um you know they they it's like a it's like a it's like a business card like what am i trying to say it's like you know it, it it's a profile yeah, it's, I mean, the first thing you see about somebody is their aesthetic appearance. Yeah. You make a lot of judgments based on aesthetic appearance. I don't care who you are when you say, no, I don't do that. You do that. Everyone yeah. does that. It's biology. Yeah. Everyone and the way that it. you want people to perceive you is what you put on your body on the outside. Yeah. Hoping that people will have a certain perception of who you are inside. Yeah. If you aren't confident, you want to blend in the background, your clothing will say that. You'll become more meek. You'll become, you know, you're not going to wear bold makeup. You're not going to do certain things. If you feel that you want people to look at you and go, whoa. Yeah. And maybe not because you are confident, but because you're insecure. Uh, Yeah. I was just going to say, I think sometimes like insecurity can manifest in like very bold, you know, um, masking. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I think like the idea of this, like, when did I have permission to alter myself in a aesthetic way? I don't feel I ever had, like, felt permission. I just felt inclusion with different groups. Yeah. And I felt it was respectful, almost. I totally To be able to that. adopt yeah. how they were dressing or, like, but I always had them help me dress so I wouldn't go and be like, I'm going to wear this right. today to you're be a curious. gothic. Yeah. You're, they're like, Ooh, can I, can I make you up? You're like, like show, you show me it. your, like, show me your, your culture. Your culture. Like, your, yeah. And I'm still that person only now on a global scale before it was like very much your yeah. high school. Like this is my world and these are my different cultures yeah. within my little world. And now I actually see it on a different way. If I'm in Africa, you know, I, yeah. and it's a different type of cultural immersion. I wouldn't ever right, put on like a head different. wrap in yeah. Africa now is totally different yeah. but um but you'd still time. have the curiosity you'd still want to understand it you just you just wouldn't understand by you know assuming it yeah assuming yeah. it when you're a kid you're just exploring all the different ways yeah. that you can like be involved or learn about this person that you think yeah. is so cool like you meet a person you're like wow this person's so interesting their story's so interesting yeah I would love to hang out with them more uh, where do they hang out? What do they wear? Where are they going? And mm-hmm. then you get to know that person. That person becomes your friend. And then your person over here becomes your friend, the yeah. cowboy, because you think that horse is cool. And you want to ride a yeah. horse, too. Like, well, and I feel like, I mean, okay, I also think, like, people get so, people in our culture, like, nowadays, I think, are are so obsessed with, like, authenticity, which I think is great. Um, but I also think, like, it can be so like confining to like make people define like who they are because I think part of this like curiosity and exploration is like 
you know, sometimes I think you have to try on a thing to decide if it feels like how it feels. Yeah. What is authenticity? When everybody talks about being your authentic self, but what is that? Yeah. And what is that? How, who's defining it? Yeah. Who's defining whether I'm being authentic to myself riding a horse or versus going right. to like a nightclub for a night? Totally. Like, I'm being my authentic self because I'm doing whatever pleases me at the moment. Well, but. and like, I think there's this misconception that like authenticity is supposed to be like, like if you're being authentic, it's like how you're comfortable. But I think frequently, like based on how we grow up, where we grow up, what kind of parents we have, et cetera, you know, there might be something that's kind of like in your in your guts that like you don't ever try out until you're kind of like older. And then it's like, maybe it's really what's going to feel right to you. But like, you yeah. just, you're, you're uncomfortable, not because it's inauthentic, but because like, it's well, you just don't new. Know. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. I, I've had a conversation with a few people about the exposure, you know, because a lot of times I hear people say, oh, well, that person's this way because that's how they are and they're racist or they're this or they're that. And I'm like, or they've just never been exposed mm -hmm. yeah. to a different way of life. Yeah. And you can't be angry at somebody for not having that type of life experience. I agree so much. And the only thing you can do is be an ally to encourage them to experience life in a different way yeah. or open themselves up to something. And, and also respect the fact that some people don't want to. Some people are yeah. very comfortable and there is a fear when you leave your comfort zone. There is always a risk and fear is a big driving force in human nature. It's protection. It's yeah. to keep us from getting eaten by that giant tiger or whatever mm -hmm. it looks like. But, you know, once you erase that fear and I've never, I just don't think I'm a very fearful person. Yeah. I've never had that fear of being like, oh, mm -hmm. should I go there? I mean, I think very rarely I even feel fearful when I travel. I think Nigeria, I felt a little scared. But to be fair, I was held at gunpoint on the ground. Oh so gosh. I got scared on that one. But that's because I didn't know if I had enough money to pay the guy to keep him from oh. shooting me. But that's like a normal, I need to survive mentality. Yeah, but, um, that's like a, yeah. Yeah, but stepping out of my comfort zone, I never had a comfort zone. My comfort zone was to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I like that. I like being in countries where you can't speak English. Mm -hmm. um, I like countries like, I love Japan. I can't read anything yeah i find that amazing and maybe it's because i'm add and my brain likes to go everywhere and absorb yeah. everything but um, or like you just yeah you need like that kind of stimulus i i've talked with several um you know adult creatives who as children lived in like small towns or you know had a very limited um potential for exposure like just they just didn't have a lot going on and their imaginations would get like so big, you know, like just thinking of all of these things um, because they didn't have the opportunity to like have actual experiences. I don't know what my point is other than just like, you know, I think as adults, you kind you, you start to go get it. But, you know, someone like that who has that kind of hunger for like all this stimu stimulus, maybe who doesn't have the like, like literally doesn't have the ability to get it until they're older might you know it might look like oh you you've never experienced anything you're not you're not curious you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. and I think there's those different the different stimulizers the different environments that we grow up definitely shape like how we how we work with different things I mean mm -hmm. I think maybe because I did move to London I mean I moved to London when I, I did spend a whole semester at school in Russia when I was 14 um through like our school exchange wow 
Um, and that I always say, like, I feel that shaped my entire life. Mm. Um, it was the turning point of who I am. Yeah. Um, because I saw and experienced things that I didn't experience in a small town like yeah. Park City. You get it like a paradigm shift. Yeah. You really get to know. And the only reason I, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, not everyone can afford to go to Russia. My mom made me a deal. She said, if I worked and I saved up half the money, which is $750. Then her and my dad would split the remaining 750. They were divorced at the time. Mm. And a 14-year-old, she did not expect me to save $750. (laughs) And I worked it and I made it. And then she was like, oh, man, I really have to do it now and send me to Russia for three months. Wow. Um, But it was right after democracy took over. Mm. So, I mean, because I am quite a bit older. Can I say hit the 40? Um, You can say it. I always feel like that kind of thing is so like, I mean... If you have like skin as nice as your skin, you should tell everyone you're 40. Yeah. I'm like, guys, I'm 45. I'm, 40. I'm 45. I'm almost 50. You wouldn't <laughs> guess it, but I totally am. I mean, the that like you wouldn't guess it is like, that's the thing. And then you want to just tell everyone. Yeah. And I think age is awesome. I feel so much better now that it like hit my 30s. I went into yeah. delight and it was amazing. But yeah, Russia like... There were bread lines. I had braces on and people asked if my family was rich because I had mouth Mm. jewelry. Mm. Um, I went to a school that had amazing dance performances. I went to the Bolshoi Ballet. I saw the opera in uh, St. Petersburg and the costuming. And and I think artistically, since, you know, I know this (laughs) about my artistic creation. I think that watching the costuming. Yeah. At that ballet, it was a four and a half hour ballet. Wow. We had just gotten off the train of a 48 hour train ride. Oh my gosh. Everybody was asleep but me. Like I was leaned against the balcony just with my eyes like popping out of my head because the extravagance of it all. Yeah. And that's the kind of fashion I like anyway. It's this overly extravagant, beautiful stuff. I love streetwear, but when I put it on, I look homeless. (laughs) I don't look cool. I have no coolness. You have to be like six feet tall to look cool and stuff like that. Dude, for real. I have a pair of it uh shell toed it like adidas and i was like yes i finally made it to the cool factor <laughs> and last night i wore them and some like young girl was like those you look amazing i'm like thank you <laughs> and i finally felt like i bought something that was cool oh but gosh. otherwise i'm yeah i'm just over the top with everything i do but um yeah i don't know my first job out of uh college was actually for la models mm. uh, i went to film school but they hired me. And again, fashion has become this little thing over my head that I just keep falling into. Yeah. And LA Models, I was a junior agent. So I got introduced to the fashion world very quickly. LA Models How is one of the you? premier. I was 21. Okay. Very and young. Yeah. yeah. It's a premier agency in LA. Wow. So we had like the Calvin Klein, you know, we had all the big yeah. supermodels. Um, and my job basically was to babysit models. Like Sweet. if they were at a Hollywood Hills parties, I had to go and get them out of whatever they were getting into wow. because they had a big gig the next day and yeah. dealt with depression, dealt with some issue, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I hate fashion. This mm. is horrible. Who would want to sign up for this? And yeah. and I, I really disliked the industry. Yeah. Um, this was like the Harvey Weinstein years. Mm. I mean, this was the years that like, we were very aware that some casting directors would yeah. assault women. Um, yeah. We knew that some auditions can, were about men pulling down their pants to show how big they were. Oh my gosh. Um, and these were things you were aware of. Yeah. And for me, it just morally just didn't feel right. Yeah. So I was there only about a year until I got a job 
at a great uh, commercial production house called Believe Media. Um, And I was an assistant and then moved in pretty quickly up to producer and public relations director as like a 23 year old. Wow. And that, that was amazing. Like I actually think about that job now, you know, when you're an older person, you're like, what a great job that was. We had Friday lunches catered. I worked on some amazing campaigns. Uh, We worked on a bunch of fashion ones. Cool. Um, And that also helped. And then finally I started going to fashion weeks and things like that. Um, and I don't know why, but one day this is my nature of who I am. I'm just like, I think I'm going to start a magazine instead. So I just quit my job and started a magazine. Wait, how old were you when you did that? 20, almost 25. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. 24, 25. Let's like pause. I have questions. Um, okay. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about like your time as in the, working for the agency. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I wanted to ask before, cause you know, I really am like, I'm, I'm almost less interested in like the art I'm interested in it, but like, I'm so interested in like, what are the ingredients that like, you know, make up who you are? Um, and so when you were talking before about like, you know, trying on all the different clicks, like, you know, trying on all the different styles, I wanted to ask, did you ever get like pushback? No. Never. Never. Do, how, what do you feel like like would have happened if anyone had been like, Heidi, you can't? Who do you think you are? Um I don't know. I just probably would have been like, Yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean That's I so interesting. Yeah, I no. That's really just like it's just yeah. like in your soul. Yeah, I mean like I remember when we were young, I was probably like what grade were we? Eighth grade or something. One of my friends, there was like a rumor going around school that she was a slut and you know this was the time I was like, you're still really good like I yeah. hadn't even kissed a boy maybe it was yeah. seventh grade then <laughs> let me correct yeah. myself uh but like you know you're you're relatively innocent yeah and all the teachers decided to have a one-on-one with her in the middle of the school to talk about sexual choices oh my gosh and you could see the entire library was lined with uh windows and I got so mad that the next day I went out and bought, well, I stole the shirt from my brother who went to USC, but it said practice safe sex, make love with a Trojan really big on it. <laughs> and I walked around school with this giant t-shirt on yeah. with this sign. That's like the plot of Easy A. Yeah. I was just like, huh? And they brought me into the principal's office yeah. almost immediately. And I said, well, if you're going to have conversations with students about it, I'm just encouraging them to do it safely. Yeah. And that's all I'm doing. And it was a t-shirt. And you felt like you were, you did that to like, stand up for her yeah. right like i thought it was of, wrong for yeah. what they did to her because it became a little talk right all these yeah. people are whispering about right. her and i'm like you know what if you're gonna whisper about her why don't we just have an open dialogue about what this is yeah and i was like in seventh grade and that's just that's like your heidi compass yeah that's like your deal yeah i just sit yeah. in in high school because awesome. they were gonna have uh um uniforms and I didn't believe in them because I thought they took away from our individual expression yeah. of fashion. Yeah. And I organized a sit-in in the middle of the thing and I legit changed myself to a bar <laughs> because I didn't <laughs> want uniforms because I wanted to wear what I wanted to wear. Yeah. And I mean, that's so, just... Okay. So since we're talking about this, like I still want to connect a few dots because you've said so many things that I'm like, dots. how are you in Russia and London and then back in LA? Um, but uh, I... I want to maybe ask about this, this question of like kind of, um, authority figures 
I feel like our, our art professions so frequently have people in these like gatekeeper positions who have no business being there and who like, you know, don't have the best interest of like anyone. Yeah. I'm a whore. I'm horrible with authority. I've I also have authority. a problem with authority. <laughs> so like, I mean, I yeah. do you, do you have any thoughts about like, I don't know, like how, how you think it should be or advice for people like, or just, you know, what, what have you kind of like learned about like how to deal with those people? Well, I mean, I still have a horrible time with authority. I always joke I'm a horrible employee. Like, I would be the worst as an employee. That's why I'm self-employed, yeah. too. Cause I, I, like, just, I have to be. Yeah. I mean, I do work at Impact <laughs> Hub right now, but I'm the, I'm the director. I have a board. But I, I'm very strong-willed. Um, so like it's I, really hard to be a good employee if my boss was, like, fantastic. Like, I feel like yeah, I Yeah, if I follow, respect somebody, yeah. I love mentorships. Yeah. Like, I had a couple teachers in college at film school who were so amazing and intelligent. And I was like, I just want to learn from you. Like you just tell me what to do. I will scrub your floor, anything to teach me something that of that in your brain. So it's specifically that, like that authority that's like undeserved, like, like Uh, yeah. Why wouldn't you be angry about that? I mean, not angry, but like, because I think the idea when we, we've already discussed the idea of artists, you know, are, use art as a form of emotional expression. Maybe we're more emotional or maybe I'm not more, but maybe we are pretty emotional creatures. And when we see somebody under unjustly deserving of things yeah. or people taking advantage of others, yeah. I think uh, art in general is a, even the playing field of yeah. human beings. Art, art and artists are really vulnerable to that kind of predator. Bullying. Yeah. It's bullying. Yeah. And like, if you, one thing I love more than anything is when you see like true musicians, like, I mean, not true, they're all true, but like you see people playing instruments, you see an orchestra, you can see all types of people. Yeah. The music is the same around the world. Yeah. Um, and there is music around the world, all different types, but you take this music and it doesn't matter what the person looks like. It doesn't matter where they come from. What it matters is what they're producing. Mm-hmm. And it evens this like kind of playing field where we become more human and we become about the humanity because there's no judgment. The only judgment that's happening is like, Ooh, how was that note? Mm-hmm. Or Ooh, that picture's beautiful. Like if I see gorgeous work and I'm like, yeah. I don't care what the photographer looks like. Who cares? Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. It's, I always say it's kind of similar to skater culture. Like one thing that I saw, what? (laughs) Please explain. I know it's weird, but like I find skaters are probably some of the most non-judgmental, open human beings with other skaters. Hmm. Like there's not like, oh, that guy's from inner city, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that like, man, that guy's got skills. And like I watched this news article or I read this news article where these four skater guys stopped a girl from getting raped at a uh, parking structure. And they showed a picture of the four boys, white boy, Asian boy, black boy, and like some, I don't know, ethnically ambiguous boy. And they were all best friends. Yeah. And they all stopped something bad from happening with Mm -hmm. a good moral compass. And I kind of feel like artists are really similar. Like artists are about art. So like when we see this like morally wrong thing happening, it's very difficult for us to stomach 
authority in a position of authority just to be a bully yeah. angers us yeah. and we don't sit well with it. And maybe we become little brats and maybe we're horrible at being managed because we're like, how did you get there? Did you like call daddy and like got yeah. a favor and it really makes us mad? Yeah. Or just, yeah, feeling like, I don't know, sometimes I, I think about like how complicated it is for artists to like sell their products and like it, ultimately like you have to do it in order to keep making art you have to make money somehow and I wonder sometimes if that's how people like that get in positions of power because artists are sort of eager maybe sometimes to be like I don't know to offload some of that onto yeah. like a, a business type somebody once told me that I have an artist heart and not a business mind yeah and since then I focused really hard on learning about business yeah because I mean, at the end of the day, it is a business. Yeah. And if you want to create for a living, yeah. you have to know how to handle your business. And you have to know how to take away the emotional attachment to your art during business. Yeah. And keep it when you're creating. And that's a very fine line to kind of navigate. Yeah. And know your worth. Yeah. And some artists who can't attach a worth, they need to know that they need to get a manager. Yeah. Or they need to get an agent. Yeah. Because if you can't properly price yourself, yeah. you're doing a disservice to the entire creative community by yeah. saying, oh, yeah, I could do that for $5. Yeah. That's, that's not going to help anybody. Right. And you're not going to pay your rent. Well, in that spot where you think like, oh, well, maybe I need an agent. I think sometimes that's where like really sleazy people get in. But also like, I mean, I know plenty of artists who are like equally problematic you know, who maybe just like are jealous of other artists or competitive and like, you know, I mean, that kind of, it's, it's so, I get so frustrated about it as we're talking about like, you know, our art communities where there are so many people that like are open and tender and like, you know. Oh, there's some mean ones. But yes. <laughs> for but sure. it's kind of what we're talking about, the insecurity side or what imposter syndrome. Yeah. Where you start looking at social media. Uh, social media has done both wonders and really hurtful things because it has exposed unknown artists to opportunities they normally wouldn't be able to. And then for other artists, you just start looking at stuff and you're like, that's so much better than mine. Yeah. And now I'm going to have to overly fake it till I make it or like, screw that girl. Why yeah. is she doing so well now? She shouldn't be doing that good. Her art is even that good. Like know, you start prejudging. So, it's so hard. Everything is so complicated. Every little piece. Well, even like, you know, I mean, it's one reason why I like why I'm doing this podcast, because I feel like when you look at artists who are farther along in their careers, you know, they've just been they've been doing it longer. Their skills are a little more honed it's so easy to look at that and think like, well, I wonder, I bet, I bet that person was always great at that. You know, I, I bet like, well, I, you know, you just, you cannot compare, like we never have enough information. Yeah, and I, man, I look at some, even today I'll shoot some things and like, I'll shoot some of it. I'm like, wow, that's really good. And I'll shoot other things. I'm like, oh, that's horrible. And I, yeah. And some, I even have visions in my head on a couple of shoots that I've done in the past 10 years where I want to call them and apologize and reshoot for them because I think it turned out so bad, yeah. but they liked it. Yeah. So like, well, that's uh, the other thing. It's so subjective. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, every single piece of it is so complicated. Well, I mean, something that I kind of had like a light bulb about recently, I was interviewing someone who's a friend of mine who I really admire. Um, and, uh, she, she was talking, I was asking her some question, like she's also a musician and I was asking her like, how do you do, you know, this thing that's really hard for me. And she just kind of said like, I, it's, it's never been hard. It's just not something I think about. And it kind of just made me think like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like the stuff that's really hard to, for me, like the stuff that's like the most difficult for me is going to be the stuff that I pay the most attention to in other people, you know? And oh, like, yeah. it's so, it's so easy to forget. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's easy to forget like, you know, the stuff that you're great at, you can, so you can take it for granted, you know? Yeah. And I think like, I, and I hope there's always a little drive to always do better like I've oh, definitely I shoot or produce whatever um or do any my any creative endeavor and I'm always like oh that could be better yeah and I think when we stop doing that we're gonna stop creating oh absolutely so I don't think there's anything wrong to be focused on where you feel like you lack because oh, totally. you're gonna drive it to get better and then when that gets awesome then you're gonna see something else and you're like oh yeah. all right maybe I need to work on that now yeah I totally um, agree so I don't think there's anything wrong with like identifying where you lack. Sure. I think I just mean more like just remembering like your own like weird, unique set of like strengths and weaknesses. Like that's going to drive you to make stuff that only you can make. Um, and, you know, being kind of stuck on like this or that thing being difficult for you. It's not the point, you know? Yeah. Like you can always be pushing your boundaries, but... I don't know, just comparing like your progress in an area that's really difficult to you to someone else's like success in that same area when like that was never something difficult for them. It's very unproductive. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree. I also find it interesting when you have an artist who refuses to mentor. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, someone will be like, hey, Heidi, why are you telling that person how to or why you teach fashion show production? These people are going to replace you at your job yeah and I'm like mm, no one can replace me because they're not me right like they yeah they can go on and do shows that's great and they're gonna have their own take on shows and they're gonna do their own type of show yeah or if I teach someone how to light uh Caravaggio lighting and that's the style that I tend to use is Caravaggio lighting that's been around since Caravaggio before Rembrandt like yeah. everybody's used that kind of lighting but if I teach someone how to use it they're still not going to capture what I capture because yeah. I'm me how I see things is me and yeah. as much as I can force myself to try to do a different way of shooting, I, I might be able to technically do it, yeah. but it doesn't have the same vision or the right. same soul or like, Ooh, do you see how the light like falls on that eyeball? I want that particular framing of that. Yeah. Somebody else is going to shoot it and they're going to do it how they do it. Yeah. So you can pass around knowledge. And I think knowledge is such a powerful thing that some people just hold on to. Yeah. And they're like, I can't tell you how I do my photo editing. Oh, it's so, so like, that's I could YouTube it and I can find out how you do it. Yeah, Come that on. scarcity mentality, I think, it's so dangerous and it's so pervasive everywhere. Like I see it in, in a lot of artists too of like, or like, I don't want to hire this person or I don't want to, yeah, I don't, I mean, gosh, I've seen so many music teachers like squash their talented students because they're feeling competitive. See, that's crazy. It's when so ugly. 
like watch your flowers flourish well, yes and like i feel like you know i have a, i tend to you know i've seen it like all ships rise you know like if you if you're strengthening another member of your community and your culture that's good for everyone like a that kind of like abundance of art and abundance of creativity is just like, I don't know. It's so much more um, like alive, you know, yeah. it just like grows and builds in, in such a satisfying way. Well, and I know we're probably going to talk about this, but that's uh, art meets fashion. One of the events that I do, that's actually how it was birthed. Yeah. Tell me about was it. Was for that. Um, I had a business partner. She was into art. And I've always been in fashion. I love art, but she had a, an actual education in it. And we just saw that there wasn't a lot of support for local creatives in that way yeah. in a platform that was really professional yeah. and experiential. There were definitely fashion shows, but um, they just weren't showing it on a level of like a New York or an LA and they weren't doing it in like an art immersive space, which we were definitely about. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about how can we blend these two worlds together because everybody talks about how fashion's not art. Yeah. There's always that like, well, fashion's not art, fashion's consumer. Like mm. fashion is such an art form and it's just on a three dimensional canvas. Yeah. It's like a sculpture. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to also bridge that, but the idea was to try to bring the community together. Um, we very rarely ever make money <laughs> doing it. Um, it's definitely a passion project that we do. And especially since we've now incorporated the magazine um, that we do once a year. Yeah. It also has full articles about people in our community. Yeah. That, you know, are emerging talents that maybe, you know, other people can't see and put it also with an international stage. Yeah. So we emerged, we started with this smaller shows with just locals. Then we grew too big, too fast. Mm. Um, and we had a two night, 1500 person event. Wow. And it lost its artistic integrity to me. Mm -hmm. And I felt we kind of sold out to sponsors. Mm. And so we took a step back. It's so hard to balance because like you, so need, hard. you need money. You need money. Yeah. yeah. You need money. I, you know, I don't mind if I don't make a lot on it, yeah. but I do mind if I pay for it. Yeah. And um, my business partner actually just wanted to go back and do something good for society. So she went back to get her master's in social work okay. and now she's a social worker and lives up in Oregon. And then I kind of took it on full force. Uh, and I said, I want to pair it back and I want to only less than 500 people, sometimes less than 200. If we have a small venue, we want to keep it really intimate, but the idea is not to lose the artistic integrity of the show yeah, and make it an experience and make it what it was intended to be, which is a celebration of our artistic community in Salt Lake and beyond. So yeah. this year we're bringing a Brazilian designer and we're going to talk about things that are Brazilian. And like awesome. right now um, I have a friend who lives in Rio and he does Afro-Brazilian rights in the favelas wow. and is trying to raise some money and some awareness of what's going on down there. Um a lot of the issues, you know, with social, when we talk about artists too, I think artists are really important uh, in raising what's going on socially. Absolutely. They have a huge uh, renaissance of street art down there and everything. But if you put your address uh, in the favelas, you won't even get interviewed. Hmm. It hinders your ability to even get a job. So wow. we're really talking about that and trying to help his organization. And then we're splitting the money with uh, Amazon Conservation Group as well. Wow. Uh, somebody great. who's on the ground there. So not just 
save the Amazon, but like some groups who are doing some Actually, active yeah. conservation change. So we, the idea of community, I think with art, it's important to understand. And I teach this in my class a lot uh, in fashion is how is art and specifically fashion directly affected by social, economic and environmental changes. Yeah. And we are so interconnected to that and the cycle of fashion and marketing of fashion. Why do they decide to tell you that you need that big Christian Dior dress after the fabric rations of 1940? Mm. Um, why are they, you know, using that to paint the perfect picture of the housewife because yeah. they needed to repurpose the factories to start building large machines, AKA ovens and yeah. things like that in order to sustain all the men coming back from war. Yeah. And people don't, always do that investigation they're yeah. like oh i just like the 90s it's so free i'm on well, 90s was a rejection of materialism yeah. in the 80s and wanted to also embrace uh in individual individualism yeah so it was a rejection of what was happening the decade before with ultra consumer and yeah. materialism so like we go through these processes too and to uh, all of a sudden remove ourselves from what's happening socially around the world yeah. especially now because we're global yeah we're no longer utah we're no yeah. longer us we are part of a greater world and that's something social media and the internet has done in a positive way you don't mean like we art meets fashion you mean we, we like all of us we as people yeah okay that's yeah. what i thought you meant no yeah. i totally agree and you know Part of the reason that I, that, you know, when I was, when I was thinking about starting this podcast, it, it, it originated in kind of like, you know, that sort of ache that we were talking about maybe even before I pushed record, but like, you know, of being kind of isolated and like having all this, you know, creative interest and like, but then we're like little hermits, like you said. Um, and I know, I know my, my field is music and these kinds of stories and these kinds of like socio-political stuff is happening in, in music evolution too. And I, I just feel like each of us in our, in our separate mediums and with our separate individual backgrounds, we have this knowledge and we have these stories to tell and these things that are so big, bigger than like Emily, bigger than Heidi, bigger than Salt Lake. Um, and I just, I don't know, I want to hear all of them. So I, I, I'm thanks for, for like giving that background. Um, with art meets fashion in particular, what is the current like relationship between like, like Utah, like Salt Lake city and Brazil? Like what, what's the, well, I mean, I think we're going through our own conservation issues yeah, and the destruction of our Southern Utah borders. Yeah. Um, what's happening with energy extraction is exactly what's happening at the Amazon Yeah, because people are angry about the Amazon, you know, for them burning stuff down to plant palm, um, yeah and different agricultural for cows and all this. And we're doing very similar things here. Yeah. Uh, we're doing fracking. We're opening it up for coal. We're opening it up for uranium, which poisons the water, which poisons a lot of the native communities down there. Specifically, the Hopis are very negatively affected by that, yeah. just like the Amazonian tribes. So it's not like I'm like, oh, Brazil. I mean, we do have a lot of Brazilian immigrants here. Yeah. We have a pretty pretty large Brazilian population. Um, but I went down to Brazil to take part in a larger humanitarian uh, conference uh, with the UN. Cool. And I was introduced to a lot of the activists down there. And just the drive, I felt very similar 
to especially our our indigenous populations here mm. in Utah. And to be able to kind of showcase the voices in juxtaposition yeah, um, and bring that kind of dialogue to the forefront of overall conservation of natural yeah. resources and equality that, yeah. equ- you know, we aren't the only people who struggle in equality. Yeah. Um, and the fact that South America was settled just as or not settled. I shouldn't even say that word colonized, colonized yeah. uh, by Europeans and slaves were brought over. Yeah. In fact, at larger, uh, amount down yeah. to South and Central America yeah. than even North America. And people don't know that. Yeah. Um, and people aren't aware of that. Part of the magazine we're even doing is on the black experience. Mm. And we're talking about all elements of art through the black experience. So wow. I have different writers from all over the U.S. and including one in Brazil who's writing it. One's writing about art. One's writing about film. One's writing about dance Wow! and how these things all interconnect through the black experience of, you know, losing the identity when you come over as a slave, you know, and, um, as a white female, I can't understand that, you know? And I think it's a very important story to be told, um, for us to understand and be better allies and really not, be afraid to have these kind of dialogue conversations and it's something that's happening in Utah too. You know, everybody has a diversity and inclusion department, but nobody knows why they're supposed to have one. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we're DNI, we're inclusive. But like, why, why are you supposed to include? Yeah. Yeah. Because voice you know, this, this global type of, or not even global, but like having a different voice at the table actually helps your company grow. Yeah. Actually helps bring in different ideas. It diversifies your portfolios of clients because you're able to outreach to larger corporations. Yeah. Um, but I always like how all forms of art kind of move through the cycles at the same time around it's the world. It's so interesting. Like when you were talking about that, when I was in my master's degree, I did, um, my, I took this ethnomusicology class and did my research project on like music of the Andes. Um, and so I, I also like as, you know, a, a young like white girl, I grew up in Arizona, you know, I was aware of like some things, but yeah, I mean, studying kind of like the, the tri-culture, you know, the African indigenous and Spanish, like European, um, melding of culture in music I mean those things are they just like go everywhere and I I totally agree with you it's like so important to talk about it to be curious to think about I mean even just like you know I hear people sometimes talk about like oh well all music you know all music this or all music that and just thinking like okay, well, are you remembering like Western music is like a really specific thing and like these rules are not fixed. Yeah. Um, And there's been every single culture has music. Yes. Every single culture from all over the world, even when we're isolated and never even moved, they all had music. Yeah. And they all had fashion. Yeah. If you look at traditional wardrobe, they went with the music. I find music and fashion very interchangeable and the evolution of the two very tightly locked. Mm -hmm. And you use very specific dressings for very specific performances to very specific music. Yeah. Well, and dance too. I mean, like dance the three too, yeah. for sure. Well, and then like, I mean, storytelling is like part of that world also, which is like what film is. Um, I totally agree. Like the arts are like this. 
they move together to tell stories and to reflect ourselves and to reflect our cultures. And I don't know, I feel, I, I think, you know, I, I grew up in a really conservative family um, and in a really conservative culture. I was not exposed to a lot. And the older that I got and the more that I, you know, was presented with stories and with, you know, um, experiences and, and perspectives that, you know, shifted my paradigms and like opened my eyes. I feel like petrified by the idea that I'm, what else am I missing? You know, what other stories am I not hearing? So, I mean, I guess all this to say, like, I just so appreciate the work that you're doing here in Utah to like, you know, tell those kinds of stories. That's just amazing. Um, thank you. I, I just feel, I don't know. I just feel like it's really important in general. Like, um, I, when I was, I went and did a documentary in Kenya, uh, for a little bit and I was hanging out with the woman, uh, who built schools out there. She's Kenyan. And we went to visit her friend, uh, who lived, it was pretty far away, like 35 minute walk was the nearest hut. So like we went and go to visit what? her and we knocked on the door wow. it was like hut style you know what you kind yeah. of vision like a metal door and like you knock and you hear her go wait a minute i'm naked and like <laughs> so we waited and then she put on clothes she's like i'm sorry i just love being naked and i'm like okay so we went in and we had tea and she had like a little tv from her solar feet on the roof mm. um just playing and she talked the entire time about how bad her future in-laws drive her nuts and when i got back i remember a fellow artist friend actually asked me, they said, so what did you find that, you know, was true yeah. while you traveled? And I said, that all women are the same. Yeah. Regardless of where you live, <laughs> we are so interconnected. We like to be naked. We get stressed about our in-laws. <laughs> yeah. And we, I mean, at the end of the day, like just even the communication between females. And then I started yeah. thinking about it because I was like, yeah, I know I said all women. And I'm like, eh, I think most people, I mean, yeah. are the same. I do think men have a lot of differences. I'm sorry, men, but I kind of <laughs> think that I think women were just, we, you know, we have this like, I don't know, nurture, whatever we have. Cause even if you're a businesswoman, I think we just connect on a certain level when you sit with other women, cause we're such communicators mm. versus men who are doers. Like, we're, we're very communicative. So everywhere I go, I end up having conversations with women all over the world and they're always the same. That's they're so funny. Frustrated with their partner. They're frustrated, yeah. you know, with this and they're like, Oh, let me tell you my day. <laughs> and you don't even know this person, but you're like, yeah. you go but ahead. I, you tell yeah, me. But you day. feel like you do know, you know something. Yeah. That's why the yeah. stories, I mean, it just kind of brings us back to the, what we talked about earlier, the connection, Yeah, the idea of connection and artists feeling this connection or artists, wanting to know stories about others or telling a story about another person. And then that goes all the way back to what we talked about when like we're isolated communities using art to communicate story and yeah. do storytelling. I mean, I think all of these are all intertwined and they all go really well together yeah. when you start connecting dots. Yeah. You're like, we're, we're storytellers. We're your expressors of emotion and mm -hmm. we connect other human beings through mm -hmm. our art. I, yeah, I think that's true. I think sometimes you, you make art to help to, express yourself I think sometimes you make art to try to like understand someone else you know to kind of like just let me like you like you were doing as a child like let me step into your world like you know show me what it's about um yeah that's really powerful so um is there anything else that you want to talk about with like kind of your um 
your career evolution from like the agency until now like just no, any no. you uh, it seems like you've done I do not <laughs> at all feel so like I have like random. a timeline I have no timeline that's the problem <laughs> uh I have no time well yeah I started a magazine after the commercial house uh mainly just because I I needed a break from the pressure of being a young female in the industry yeah um that was pretty much the only reason that so I started a magazine thing. um and I started getting into fashion photography by accident. We had a photo shoot lined up and the photographer didn't show up. So I just shot it. Isn't that amazing? So that's the only reason I became a fashion photographer. Quotes. I love that. <laughs> like just like, you know, stepping into ro- that's like a perfect example of like stepping into a role as the need like arises. And then like, you know, you do that so many times and then you're like, I'm a photographer. Yeah, and I still joke and like I don't always say I'm a photographer. I'll be like, I take pictures. <laughs> um, even with that's how the event stuff started too. Um, working for the magazine, uh, we started hosting a lot of events for clients. Um, I put together the events, and then people started recommending me to put together their events. And then we produced runway shows for the mag, and then I started doing runway shows for LA Fashion Week. Um, I put together like a, th- a tri museum event uh one was the opening for dennis hopper's exhibition and we did with lacma that had live jazz and we closed down wilshire um so it moved all the way into that yeah. and it wasn't something that like again i set out to do yeah it was just like this is kind of fun yeah i get to create a cool space for people to hang out in that's cool and i tend to do really well with other artists mm. uh which is a challenge for a lot of event planners. Mm. So like fashion shows, art openings, that's always been my specialty. It still is. Yeah. Um, because I can deal with all the egos that exist backstage. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I love it. It's really hard. So moved into that with events. Uh, my business partner at the magazine, um, another thing, you know, I just have the business partners who always want to try something new. So she moved to Egypt to speak, uh, teach English. Wow. And, what brought me here is at the time I thought maybe I'd try corporate life because, you know, artists always have that question of like, maybe I should do something. Cor- maybe I should take a job, like a real job. Yeah. And Can so I applied all over the year. Yeah. Something. I was like, maybe I'm, it's time for me to be an adult. I think that was <laughs> one of my thoughts because I was just throwing big parties and having fun and yeah. doing runway shows. Like, and to me, that's not a job. It's just fun. And I get paid yeah. for it. Like I thought it was cool, but I, I was like, maybe I should try something corporate. So I applied all over the U S but, um, ironically utah uh the publishing house that does uh salt lake magazine group yeah so three publications here and five in florida i got um offered the position of director of communication so to handle their events and public relations for all the public for all the magazines so i moved out here for that um my plan was to try corporate life for a year yeah this was like eight or nine years ago i'm like i'm gonna start it for a year and then i'm gonna be out um and then, it yeah, I, I did quit take. after a year, to yeah. be fair. <laughs> corporate life was not meant for me. I think I had the receptionist who clocked me in. Yeah. Like, as I walked in, and she's like, you were five minutes late. I'm oh, like, no. this is not going to work yeah, for me. this isn't what I... I got sat down once by the boss, and they said I needed to wear more black suits because oh I was gosh. in marketing. So the next day, I work, walked in with a black suit and a hot pink butterfly collar and <laughs> pink shoes. And I was like, well, it's a black suit. I just, like, well, I can't handle it. I mean, I, I feel like... You know, the arts get such a bad rap. I mean, in so, I feel like it, 
it happens in both directions. Like I think people are are put in put in an unrealistic like mysticism on the arts sometimes, and then also like this this thing of like you're you need you know you're flaky and whatever. Oh, yeah. But I just think like when artists are put in a I mean, I guess I should say when people are put in like, you know, a situation that allows them to like, just do the stuff they're good at, there can be so much, you can be so productive. Like you are so productive. It seems insane that someone would be like, oh, you're five minutes late. Like, and it's just such evidence that like, that's not where you need to be. I think I told them if I came in at 10, I'd be more effective and you wouldn't pay me for the two hours that I do nothing. Yeah. And they're like, we still want you here at eight. I'm like, I also do events. I'm there till two in the morning. This makes no sense to me. Yeah. I think, I mean, people need to be in places that they're most productive in for sure. I, I don't know. I find like, I I joke about being a novelty sometimes. Some of my ex-boyfriends, I felt dated me because I was a novelty. I was an artist and they thought this is how artists should be. Yeah. Um, but then I also end up on the other side. They think I'm this high powered businesswoman. Yeah. So I get here. I was like, oh, she's so high powered business. But they forget each side comes yeah. with the other side. Yeah. And like, yeah, I am an artist and I do have those eccentricities that maybe other people don't have. Yeah. But I also have a businesswoman side. So yeah. you have to be able to deal with both. And it's just been really interesting. Like, as soon as I say, I, I don't say now I'm an artist to people. Yeah. Um, because people are like, oh, you're an artist. I really, like, mm. I've, I've had similar experiences. Like I, I get the idea that maybe we have some similar, some similar traits. Um, both are interested in lots of kinds of art and kind of like, I, I also have kind of my career sort of is like, I take a project and I don't think that much about like where it's going and just kind of. I just feel it just out. Just take the branches until, you know, there's, until I look at it and go like, oh, this is what you are, you know, <laughs> see it again. Um, but yeah, th- this is, I think, part of the reason why I feel so plagued by this identity question. Cause it's like, well, yeah, you're right. I, I am this, but I'm also this other thing. And you're making assumptions that, you know, and I, I just, I guess it doesn't really matter what like people think, but I think it bothers me so much that people can't get it that people are so confused that I just I want to talk about it with other people (laughs) well and I think it's funny too because we always it's easier to say like shouldn't matter what people think about you yeah it shouldn't matter what people think about you but you still you still interact with people every single day yeah I don't want people to think I'm a rude person I don't want people to think I'm heartless like I when I moved back from LA my dad um he was like, Oh, Heidi, it's nice to have you home. You were becoming so LA. Yeah. And excuse me for LA. I was like, like a bitch dad. Is that what you're saying? And my dad's like, I didn't say that. I'm like, you meant it. And my dad's like, well, you were getting a little hardened. And I'm like, yeah, because I did care so much about what people thought of me back there. And since I moved here and you know, I do see a lot of people struggle with religion here. Uh, I see a lot of people struggle with identity here. I Mm -hmm. see people struggle if they're LGBTQ growing up, uh, trans kids struggling, uh, crazy artists struggling, or somebody who isn't any of those things, cis men, right? I do, you know, everyone's like, oh, cis men are the evil. They're not, and they're struggling too. Mm -hmm. I think the redefinition of masculinity has shifted so much that I think men are having a hard time as well with identity. Uh, I feel in Utah, there's this 
shift that's happening. And I think a lot of people are losing their identity and don't know how to find their identities. Mm -hmm. And I think having these kind of dialogue conversations and just me even shifting from my little LA person that I was to like, I just want to get to know you one-on-one because I, I feel that people don't do that enough with other people and say that you're valuable. You're interesting. Your story of where you come from and what you've been through is valid. And it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. (laughs) And it's interesting. I mean, you think about it like, I mean, I, I think I was LDS till I was like five. And then I was like, nope, not for me because that's my personality. (laughs) But like, I, you know, I know people who are really devout and they, they're, journey has been just as interesting yeah. as somebody who has left or somebody who, you know, does yeah. have a child who is trans and they're trying to support that child um, is just as valid mm-hmm. as somebody who doesn't, mm-hmm. um, who has a kid who's really struggling and wants to be in football and can't make it. I mean, every single person's story is, is so interesting yeah. if you take the moment to really look and then translate that into an artistic expression of your own, Yeah, follow that journey in some way Maybe your story then through music or through fashion or through whatever storytelling you're able to do will touch somebody else yeah. and make them feel that other person's life. Yeah. And we can just be nicer people. We yes. can be more morally right. like And not moral because we're told to be moral. Moral because we feel connected to that other person yeah. that we don't want to hurt them. Totally. We want them to be happy. And you just said like every so. single thing that I believe. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. So I, I just, yes, I agree so much. And like, you know, I, I think what you said before is also true. Like we make assumptions about people and that's whatever, you know, it's going to happen. It's biology. It's just, it's, it's what we do. But like taking that second step and thinking like, you know, looking at someone and thinking like, what are the special things about you? Like, what are the stories that only you can tell? What is the art the only that only you can make? And I think sometimes in order to really appreciate someone's story or to appreciate someone's art, you know, especially I think to appreciate someone's art, that's the conversation we're having, you have to know a little bit about that background. You have to step into it, put on the goth clothes, put on the cheerleader clothes, whatever it is, and be like, okay, show me, show me how to appreciate the art that you made show me how to hear your music show me how to look at the at your painting show me how to wear and move in these clothes because without asking you're not gonna know yes because you're only presented with your sphere of influence you're only presented with whatever you are presented with for your life and there are people who can't travel you know there's people like I say oh I went to Russia and I know that there's people who do not have that opportunity yeah who financially socially family wise do not aren't given different opportunities to experience different types of life yeah and if you meet them and they show a genuine curiosity or even if not be like tell me about your life yeah and then hopefully by you having an interest in them they then have an interest in others Yes, because that then creates a dialogue that makes people more open-minded, that makes people more interested in really involving themselves in other people's story or helping other people. And then it right now we're so polarized with this left, right. This person sucks. Yeah. This person's horrible. This person's horrible. And we have this like immediate defensive aggression towards each other because yeah. we're forgetting 
yeah. that we are we're just people, people and it's just these stories yeah i i was thinking about this something you said earlier um you know we we i see a lot of people saying things like oh well you'll never change your mind or like social media is never going to be the way to and i just think like Yes, it can. Like, what other sure, way is it there at this like, point? Yeah. I mean, and and if you say like, "Hey, here's a perspective that I'm offering," that like, you know, maybe you haven't heard. Maybe there will be a lot of people who will be like, "No, you're wrong." But there's like gonna be there's gonna be someone who's gonna go like, oh, "I didn't know about that," you yeah. know. And you might never know. There was a study made that if people's reaction, okay, so if you're attacking anybody's beliefs so of any not religious but just beliefs right i believe that there's no climate change i believe that there's this if you question those belief structures the same chemical is released in the brain that if you are being physically attacked by somebody yeah so it's the same chemical reaction that's going on within the brain structure whether you say hey you're not i don't know if you're entirely accurate about that then if i'm going after you with a knife yeah that's insane to me i mean it makes sense because we're tribal you know creatures came from blah blah blah, protection blah blah blah. but or somebody telling you oh there's elk over there someone's like there's not elk over there it's over there yeah like it's just so interesting so i i start thinking about that when I have a dialogue with yeah. somebody, I'm like, they think I'm coming out yeah. with a knife. They're right. that scared right now because I'm questioning their ability to know geology. And yeah. I don't know why. But, <laughs> yeah, but the, that remembering mind. that helps you be patient with people. It helps you have that extra little bit of compassion. And that's not to say that like, you know, emotional labor isn't a problem. And like at some point, you know, you need to just say Walk like, away. this isn't my conversation <laughs> anymore. But but yeah, I mean, it all comes back to that, just that curiosity, which is like, what made you an artist? Like, maybe it's not that for everyone, but like, you know, having that, that exploration, you're exploring into other cultures, you're exploring different mediums, you're exploring like people. Um, and I just, gosh, I think it's amazing. I'm so into it. I fully agree. I also just think that people are like, endlessly interesting and I want everybody's stories and I especially want artists stories yeah I feel like we're very similar yeah let's talk to other artists and see what they do yeah I want to know like what's your stuff like what kind of awesome stuff are you doing that like I'm not even seeing um well I kind of think that's I kind of think we did it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure what else you want to say. So I, mean, I, I always ask people at the end and you, and you don't have to answer this question in like a permanent way, just for today. What's your dream collaboration or your dream project? Like sky's the limit. What's the dream project that's popping into your mind on this Friday evening? Um, there's a couple good tour houses I've always wanted to shoot for. I really would love to shoot for like Vogue Italia, uh, something like that, because they're just so like magical and fantastical. Yeah. I think Vogue US sucks. Sorry, Vogue, but I do. I think you're horrible in a celebrity trash magazine now, which makes me very, very I, sad because I used to love you and now you're dead to me. But I really do like Vogue Italia. I like Bro- Vogue Italia. Uh, Brasilia. I think like for me, it's just a matter of having endless uh, budget to be able to do whatever I want. I also, like, I'd love to create, like, a whole series of, like, fantastical, couture, gorgeous things. Um, And then I also, on the split side of my brain, on the humanitarian, uh, there's a series of different documentaries that I'd love to do. Wow. Like, I've done ones in Africa, Middle East, uh, 
Alaska native region. Like I would really love to do that more. Um, do photojournalism, but also short form yeah. documentaries. I hope um, that happens. Yeah. So I would love to do that too. I wish we could resurrect the old patron of the arts thing that used to happen where you just had this rich person who was like, I'm going to give you money because you'll do well with it and you'll create beautiful things. I want that. So if we're talking about what is my dream, I'm anybody who's listening. I would really like a patron. Just be like, Hey, have you heard of Patreon? Patreon? No. So there's this guy, I'm forgetting his name. He's in, he is part of the band. Uh, John, I don't know. I'm not positive. He's part of the band Pomplamoose. Anyway, uh, he started this thing, Patreon, which is like, that's what it is. But instead of being like one rich person, it's like crowdsourced. But it's not like a Kickstarter. It's like people can like find an artist that they support, that they want to support and have like a subscription. Like they send you like $5 a month. So I, I, oh, kind, I, I kind of, I'm gonna sign you up should do that. it. You should make one for Art Meets Fashion. For reals. Yeah, because our meets fashion, that's the other thing too. Like we we always rely on sponsorships and people to come. I um, think so I would hopefully. love to see like people in Salt Lake City have the opportunity to like support Art Meets Fashion in that kind of a way. Um, it's a definitely one of a kind of experience. Yeah. Um, and we rotate it every single year. So every year is so different yeah. that if you went to a last year, it's going to be different than the year before. And we rotate, we work almost all on volunteers. So... It has its glitches because we work with volunteers and sure. all the volunteers are creatives. I love so that. We we definitely move and do different things. And I'd like people to come out and support the creative it's community. On, it's on my calendar Yay, for this year. November 16th. Yep. Um, so that's the last thing. Tell everybody where oh. to find you on the internet. Yeah. Yay. Uh, art meets fashion. You can do that one first if you want to follow us. Uh, it's artmeetsfashionamf.com. Uh, AMF is what we call it. It's not a drink. It's AMF. <laughs> um, you can also find us on Instagram at AMF Foundation and Facebook as AMF Foundation. Uh, yeah. We are a foundation as well. We're a 501c3 foundation. Wow. Um, so you can support us there and come to the event. The event is November 16th. We will announce the venue to the people who have purchased tickets. It is a secret until then. Um, and we have a two levels of tickets. You have VIP, which is a hundred dollars, which includes front row reserve tickets, uh, invite to the VIP night, which is two nights before. Wow. And then a selection of food and drink and then regular admission ticket is $60 this year, uh, food and drink and admission to the show. Uh, we also request that everybody wear black or red to this one. Awesome. So it will be that uh if you want to look at my photography that's hmgproductions.com or instagram at hmgproductions and you can follow the photography there i also run impact hub downtown so if you want to pop in the office anytime well most of the time i'm there (laughs) uh i'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to get more involved in humanitarian efforts um or wants to talk about documentary work. Yeah. I do work there uh, in the humanitarian realm as well. So I have a lot of jobs. So We've many kind of pies. talked about that. A yeah. lot of pies. Uh, I like to be a creative in every single I way. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. Is that all, is that all the I things? I think that's it. I think that's all the things. Well, I do teach at Slick at the Fashion Institute, for those who don't know. Uh, so we t- I teach fashion show production, fashion marketing, business of fashion. And in the summer, I teach a special fashion photography segment. Uh, if you're interested in getting fashion show production or fashion marketing, those classes start after Christmas. So you can 
join the Fashion Institute, we do produce a full runway show for the graduating seniors. Wow. Um, so you can take that class and learn about what it takes to do a fashion That's show. awesome. Um, so you can register at that. You do not have to be a full-time student to take those classes. Wow. You can just register at the Fashion and take a class. That's totally fine. Um, I think this year we'll have 15 different designers that we'll oh be gosh. putting together a show for. That's fantastic. Yeah. Heidi, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. What a me. nice way to spend our Friday evening. Friday night. <laughs> Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.